Hey, Nick, would you rather watch somebody fuck a car or a corpse? Corpse, hands down. I wouldn't even have to think about it. Is that Charlotte Gainsbourg? Last time I saw you, you were bent over a couch getting whipped by Billy Elliot. And now, here you are in Independence Day too. Hey! Yeah! yeah. Our childhood dreams are coming true. God. Am I staring? It's just like, I, I admired your skin. It's so perfect. I'm just like, Ugh. Micah Monroe, unfortunately, wasn't that great here. Because Who does I, he play? It's a girl. Oh. She takes the Shailene Woodley step backwards. The actual movie, yeah, though. Sorry, that was a diversion. Anyway. It, uh, <laughs> oh. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the Nicholas Winding Refn film, The Neon Demon, which stars Elle Fanning. I go to this guy in Beverly Hills. He calls me the bionic woman. Is that a compliment? I hear your parents are dead. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 70 of Film Tank. I am Alex Teekman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello. Hello. You guys are getting really bad at this. It's getting really dry. That's okay. Just like the Neon Demon. Very oh. dry. And... We'll get to the Neon Demon in a little bit. We, have... <laughs> we all have thoughts on it, and we had a very interesting viewing experience of the Neon Demon. I mean, one of us had a very interesting that was no, no. experience. No, no, <laughs> that no, was we... one way to describe we, it. We sure. all had a very interesting experience. Yeah. Not all of us had the same experience, but yeah. we all took part in a very interesting viewing experience. Some of us didn't sign up to take part in that one. <laughs> Well, I don't think anyone signed up to take part in anything that involved the <laughs> When money dark, is involved, this, there is a social contract. <laughs> this dark cloud of passive aggression. Yeah. So we'll get to We're that. We're in a reffing movie. <laughs> we'll get to that. Now we just need dance music with bass turned up and bright, shiny colors. I've been listening to that score all it's, week. Since it actually it. is quite good. That's... That is one of the main reasons why my score went up a half star after after uh, viewing the film. Uh, so we will talk about that uh, in a little bit. First, though, we will start off with a weekend review. And uh, Nick, why don't you start us off as Whoa. you you generally have a lot to say. I'm so. not prepared for this. Sure. <laughs> I finally watched uh, West Side Story. Okay. The uh, the. Film version of the popular uh, musical theater piece. Which and itself is based on a true story. What? Which itself is based on a true story. It, it is. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, I, I just thought it was a reappropriation of Romeo and Juliet. No, I'm just bullshitting you. Okay. So it's not based on a real story. <laughs> I didn't think it was, but I didn't really... I, mean, I haven't devoted my life to researching West Side Story's history and background. Really? Well... Thank you for that <laughs> wonderful addition, Toussaint. That was great. Of course, no okay. problem. Okay, so back to me. 
Oh, man, I've had to put up with so much of your shit this week. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nick's only half kidding me. <laughs> so, I watched West Side Story. <laughs> Did you know that was a true story? You know what's also a true story? It's the 6 o'clock news tomorrow when it shows that two <laughs> podcast hosts were brutally it's murdered. It's funny because... You just we, smacked your microphone. Like, you didn't know this, but we actually tried to get those four girls who were in the theater with us, the Neon Demon, to be on this episode. And they weren't interested. No, so <laughs> They didn't want to talk about it. That's good. More on that later. That's probably because they said uh, all that they wanted to say on Saturday night. Oh. Okay. Wow. So... I watch West Side Story, <laughs> and uh, as a musical theater geek, uh, well, at least when it co- especially when it comes to film adaptations, mm-hmm. uh, this was one of my biggest blind spots, and I have to admit, I've always known the tunes from it, and that was half the reason why I somewhat stayed away, because I liked them, but never gravitated, like I never listened, because th- there have been many musicals that even before I watched the musical, I had listened to the soundtrack, like countless times just because they'd be so catchy or whatever. It's not one of them. I like listened to it a few times and I was like, eh. But I finally watched the movie and the music works so much better in uh, context of the film. Like, this is a dance movie first and foremost, which kind of now more makes the music make more sense as to why this is now such a classic. And the film uh, is fantastic. I think it actually... I've seen a... Uh, a stage version of it at our own uh, Aurora Paramount Theater here with their Broadway revival series. And I was not too impressed uh, compared to some of the other stuff I've seen from that company. I've uh, I've heard from uh, a few people uh, that uh, frequent the, the Paramount series yeah. that West Side Story was not good. No, I, I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. like I, I guess I, I wouldn't say it wasn't good, well, but it was not com- up to the standard. I was going to say, comparatively, yeah. that they go and see every one of the shows they put on, they thought that it was disappointing sure. when they saw it earlier this For year. Sure. And now that I've seen the film, I kind of see why, because I think this is the rare musical theater piece that's actually better as a film than it is a movie and Mm -hmm. the the reason and a friend of mine that I've talked to before kind of pointed this out and once she did I kind of opened my eyes but this movie and the the, the story is all about geographical space and it's about territory and the the gangs that are fighting and so when you you have such a small stage even if you have the biggest stage you know it it looks a little uh, you have to do a lot with choreography if you're just going to have your two rival gangs stand virtually right next to each other and just like point at a line on the ground and you know do it just gets a little too abstract uh for me but in this movie when you have uh the jets and the sharks literally like doing ballet all across an actual city landscape i mean it just works flawlessly and performances were all great even if uh certainly a bit of whitewashing going on here but you know it was about 50 something years ago and uh not to say that that makes it right but uh that it was the standard back then. It was, and it sadly still is. But putting that aside, it's still great performances, and songs are great in here, and uh, it's just wonderfully directed. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie musical that, for me, went by in mere seconds because I was thoroughly enjoying it. So I really recommend uh, West Side Story. The only other thing I watched that I'll mention uh, was um, Charade, which was a film by Stanley Donlin, uh, starring Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. And this has always been uh, 
praise as a Audrey Hepburn, well, just in general, but a classic movie, but one of her best movies. And I wasn't as high on it as a lot of my contemporaries are, but I certainly see the charm and the wit at play. It's uh, it's kind of one of those uh, caper movies like... Uh, like this generation's uh, duplicity or something where you can't tell exactly who's playing who until you get to the very end mm. um, as, you know, people flirt and uh, try to gain the upper hand on their counterpart. And uh, But it was really charming. And I did like the fact that it was Audrey Hepburn uh, having to be matched with Cary Grant uh, and they they make fun of their age difference repeatedly instead of just pretending like that's just normal and whatnot. So I like that it was actually smarter than your average uh, movie from that era. But I wouldn't say that it went above and beyond its, uh, its, I don't know, its premise, but thoroughly enjoyable. So I recommend it. It's usually always on Netflix since then. I always see it there. Uh, and uh, I watch the Criterion disc that I have. But uh, it's, you you can view it on Netflix since then. And I do recommend it. So that was Charade. And so West Side Story and Charade were the two movies that I've seen, and I liked them both. Cool. Good stuff. Now my turn. Sure. Okay. I didn't watch a lot. I watched one film, and that was my dad. And if you know the history behind <laughs> this, he picked some pretty shit films. We were going to go see Independence Day, the, yeah. the second one. And yeah. he was like, no, that one's getting terrible scores all uh, across yeah. the board. It, it, was even, it was even bad for... Tucson's dad. I know that's that's pretty okay. damning. It's pretty damning. So instead, we went to go see The Shallows. Oh, and man, I I don't like that film at all. I don't. I mean, I, I I talked about this with Nick a little bit beforehand when we went to go see The Neon Demon. Uh, it's he, he, you you brought up a good point, Nick. Like you can't really expect more out of this film than what it is. It's just one of those like summer tentpole like watering hole sort of films that you're just going to like absorb once and then forget about after the fact. And I'm just, that's not what I, I don't look for that in, in film. I don't look for that just for pure escapism. I like something. I wouldn't say that's exactly what I said, but okay. Well, 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 I said, not that you can't expect. I said, there are certain genres that like, cause you had specifically mentioned something like the, what you refer to as ham handed exposition. Yeah. The exposition was really bad. And I, I'm not going to necessarily defend the exposition other than to say like, did you want more of a character into the movie or were you going to see a movie about a woman getting eaten, trying to get eaten by a shark? Like there are, there are only certain, you know, hours in a day when it comes to a movie like this, a genre piece. And for me, I'm way more too many hours in a day. I'm way more into just seeing what I paid to see, which was a woman being terrorized by a shark. And I kind of, before I even saw the movie, already recognized that there had to be some kind of character background and backstory because that's just pretty much obligatory. Yes, I would applaud it if it just omitted it altogether, but I knew it was coming. So the fact that I thought it was actually pretty nicely streamlined, uh, I, I I didn't mind. I don't I don't mind the well, actually, I do mind some of the the background elements. Obviously, the girl, like she's a she's a mid school dropout, and she's going to this beach because it was where her mom went when she was pregnant with her, and her mom died of cancer or something, and that's why she went back there in order to like go surf there and stuff and find herself. But then it's all conveyed through like this cutaway, this on screen cutaway of a, a projection of a a cell phone because she's always on her cell phone and she's FaceTiming and she's able to do that in the dead of like Mexico, and I was like even. 
though. She, how, how the fuck is she supposed to be, get bars I mean, in that area anyway? Do, do you just so, not like movies? Yeah. I mean, I, mean it's like, yeah. I don't think I have to <laughs> not like movies in order no, to not I, like that, that I, shitty I, part. I, I guess the, the way you're explaining it, I haven't seen the movie. So it's I, the first ten minutes of the movie. That's about it. Okay. Yeah. And I really don't – but – you know, you you need to have backstory for characters to have them. I have don't stories. mind to have that backstory, but I wish it was conveyed in some way that wasn't just like beating me over the head with it. But I guess it's one of those films that you have to like show the actual damn well, screen. I, I think you it, could have. She could have had the same same sort of like background exposition talking to the guy that she was already in in the in the car with. Technically, there was a language barrier there. They didn't speak. Uh... It's not like either one of them. She didn't speak Spanish completely, and neither did he speak English completely. So I don't think. Not to well, mention, why would she tell her whole life story to a stranger? If anything, I would find that more. If if, if I can interject here really quickly, uh, and this is coming. That's again. not even my central problem with this film. The film, I, I don't give a shit about the about, about the story. I just think that it's a stupid premise. I just think it's an absolutely stupid premise. She sets a damn shark on fire with a flare gun. That's not the premise. That's a that's a moment. Like that's the climax of the film. Okay, but that's not the premise. Like you're just jumping around. Like I I can understand if someone didn't like this movie. I'm just I'm just not quite sure why this got so much ire from you. It's not ire. It's just so <laughs> forgettable. It's just so it it's it, it feels like it's a formula film. It's a formula film by a formula director who directed House of Wax. And maybe the reason why I don't like this film so much is because at one point he was signed on to do an Acura live action film, and he totally oh, shit wow. on that. Cool. Uh, yeah. No, it's not cool. So it has wow, nothing to do with this. Actual no, actually, movie. this film. No, this film itself is shit too. I was like, I just don't like him. <laughs> I don't like House of Wax either. Well, that's okay. I, yeah, I've this never is seen this that is either. a movie that's not House of Wax, and, <laughs> and, and they're separate not, entities. Yeah, they're separate entities, and they're both shit. They're okay. both separately shit. Okay. Can yeah. I? Can I really quickly just? Because I mean, we're it, talking about the show. It, if yeah. I can, like, oh, are my, you still gonna? My thought sorry. that I was please, going please, to bring please. to the yes. table before yes. you guys decided to, you know. I thought you meant like continue to your. No. 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 Please. I, I was just going thought. to say no. Please, you take the dance floor. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie as yeah. I mentioned already before, but the way you're describing it makes it seem like the the opening like ten to fifteen minutes of. Uh, the first film in the Taken series uh, with Liam Neeson where you get this really sort of sappy story that feels like you don't really need it. But in a, in a, in a movie like that, which is an action thriller, which I get the feeling that, that that's what The Shallows is going for, like if you actually want to have a story and an arc for one of your characters in a movie like that, you need to stuff sort of over-the-top story details into the first act or else you're not going to have anywhere for it. That was visually different in The Shallows. And it was, it was visually different in, in take, Taken because from what I recall, that was actually a cutaway between two different characters in two different locations. No. It not, wasn't? Not early on. In, in Taken, we're talking about? In Taken, yeah. Because he, he, the father had a bad relationship with the daughter and was attempting to repair it I mean, when they're or, talking on the phone. Yeah, but that—that's like the end of what I'm talking about in the beginning of the film, where after she's taken, like you have to have the the, the background for for why that he is the way he is, and she is sort of become the way she is. I'm going to need to rewatch <laughs> Taken in order for me to be able to. It was just trying to yeah. compare, but yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. No, I I can't really jump into that because I haven't seen Taken in like years. Yeah, I don't really remember it. Um, as someone who also saw The Shallows this weekend, I will say that I absolutely loved it. I yeah. thought it was, 
very silly, but yet well done, because I'm kind of jumping on this bandwagon of liking uh, John Cole Sera, who's been doing these... Uh, uh, wow. That's cool. Uh, who's been doing what I consider to be some interesting things with blockbuster premises. Uh, he did this movie, and I know, Alex, you weren't a fan of this, but <laughs> he did uh, Nonstop. Uh, and well, I'm okay with Nonstop. I yeah. just I just thought it was exactly what it was. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. this is, I, in fact, I think this is a better movie than that. Like, I, I think he's growing, actually, as a filmmaker. And, and one thing, even just maybe, um, whatever, but... As such a film nerd as I am, like when it comes to the material that, you know, gets whatever, like I would say that there's no contemporary blockbuster filmmaker that's doing anything exciting with digital photography other than uh, what John Colloy Seurat has been doing with his past three films. And it, it has what come to a, What do you mean digital photography? Like all the things you can do with the, like the colorization and the uh, exposure and the capture of these uh uh, shots and whatever. I thought this movie was absolutely gorgeous and probably second to the Neon Demon as like my favorite shot movie of the year. Like I thought it was uh, uh, absolutely beautiful. Really? I don't see that. I'm sorry. I... No, I mean that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I, I, I was like, I was just, but like, did uh, you... we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more more about. Well, that. I mean, we could talk like for like a minute here. Like, was there something that you? I nothing about it actually. Visually, this this film didn't really like jump out at me. I thought that some of the top down shots of her like swimming like out to sea and like from sea like that was really cool. But I'm not seeing anything with like color grading or with with perspective or like different shots compositions. Like it just didn't really it didn't really resonate with me me on that level. I'll say this for me. This did a lot with, like, framing and, like, where, she, yeah, like you were saying, like, where she is in the shot. Like, there's some gorgeous shots uh, early in the movie before the shark really enters the picture where she's surfing. And some of the shots in, in the way she would enter the frame, uh, which would be enveloped by either big uh, deep blues of the water or, uh, like, practically white of, like, the blinding sun or whatever, the way she would kind of drop into the frame because she would drop into the water. And, we, and the way that that would be edited together, like, I don't know, there were just some certain shots that took my breath away. And the colorization, I do think there's something to that, though. Like, if you ever do rewatch it, I don't think you might. But mm. um, there is, like, some... The way this is colorized is clearly tinkered with like and some might call it instagram or whatever but like you know there's no reason why like her bikini should be that eye-catching there's no reason for the camera to be trained on her midriff while she's like zipping up like that but other than the male gaze which we can talk about that later but hold on but i'm saying like as far as like every point of interest in this movie and i'm not just talking about her body but like whether it be her or the seagull or the rock formation or whatever is colorized i would say out of proportion with what it should would naturally be colorized you know in that daytime setting or in that nighttime setting because it just was more interested in creating a more tableau look it's like the exact opposite of something like what lubeski does in the revenant and I'm not saying that that's bad or good, but mm-hmm. that's like completely realism and doesn't try to use any kind of lighting. This is like no color. Anywhere. I want this to be more saturated just because it looks good and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I just thought it looked gorgeous. It's certainly a different uh, a method than I feel like people either a have been going for digital that kind of digital yeah. look, or they've been going the complete opposite, like Lubeski does, which is seeming to become a, a trendy thing of trying to do as much natural as possible. And there's nothing wrong with embracing the other side. And, just, and if you're willing to do it well, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's just different. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is that I just, I sense a vision 
behind what John Caliceraz is doing, and that doesn't mean I like all his films. I watched one of his films this week that I didn't even talk about, which was unknown. And I thought it was shit, mm-hmm. but I actually think he's talented, and I think The Shallows is further proof, and maybe the furthest proof that we've gotten. And I can't wait to see what he does again. Hmm. Did you like the found footage element? Yeah, I didn't mind that because. A, it was completely organic. Like, when was the last time a movie didn't stretch itself backwards to either make the entire movie found footage mm. or B, uh, you know, like, there was no pr- reason as to why, like, that GoPro is a pretty real thing, and I assume that it has its place in extreme sports. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just thought that that was actually made a lot of sense. Yeah. It felt like something they just included on the part of the checklist. <laughs> what? That, that shark movie checklist? Because there's... The contemporary shark movie checklist oh we got to have technology in here oh we got to have a hot babe in here i mean i gotta i gotta tell you uh, uh, really the 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 bar for contemporary shark movies is sharknado so that's (laughs) that's what that is right now Mm. and i have to think without seeing this that that far surpasses anything that that series is depends on what you're looking for in a shark film well yeah yeah so what I just want to know, like, with this movie, because I think this would have solved everything that you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So should she have not touched a technological device in the entire course of the movie? Because no, that's that not would what have, I'm saying. Okay, well, because I'm just saying that because that would have removed the exposition since she has to FaceTime home to do that. That would have removed the GoPro and found footage aspect. So I guess I was just like, was that? The I just didn't like the way that was implemented on screen. I just, I just think that the way that they projected the actual like image. Onto this, onto this, yeah, that's what oh, I'm yeah. saying. It's like I thought that was really hammy and stupid. You didn't need to do that, and it's like why? Why does that have to occupy half of the fucking screen? I don't know. I feel like he he did something similar he, with technology and nonstop. Yeah, that's, he took it to another, probably a bigger extreme here. Yeah, not a bigger extreme, but there is a moment when she's flipping through Instagram, and we're seeing what she's doing, which I actually appreciated because we both get a narrative. Uh, like pr- propulsion as to what's happening, and yet we're also still getting the actual landscape without wasting our time on a tr- top-down shot of a phone. I will say too, it it is sort of, and I, um, this is not a great example, but it is another um, example of integrating technology that we have in in this era of of, of everyone's lives in in film and in just in in general and in the way the world is now. Uh, and there have been bad examples like that Adam Sandler movie, men, women, and children that overused it. But then we have other good examples like the nonstop. I actually enjoyed that part of the yeah. movie. Uh, and another film we saw at Sundance earlier this year used it really well. First, um, first, first girl I loved. Yes. Uh, actually, I thought it was fabulous in yeah. that film. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know if I would say it was better or worse, but using, uh, that sort of technology. So you're getting to see what characters are talking about as they're text messaging and seeing their reactions, but then seeing the text in front of you on the screen and, and not having to get hit over the head with out unnecessary exposition, like shot, reverse shot that gets pretty tired after a while. Yeah. If you have to like have them scroll through it, whatever. Mm. Um, one other question from a subject, cause we saw it together, that movie run all night. That was yeah. John Calaisera movie. And I, I didn't really care for it, but yeah. in that movie, wasn't there a spot in which I swear something, didn't somebody have to use like Google maps or like some kind of satellite? I thought, because I just Probably. remember them going some through kind this, of satellite. I just remember them going through the city and like, I was like, Oh, and so this is certainly something that's not going to go away. I think in that, his... that that movie unfortunately just hit all the checklist items for things yeah. that like should not be that, that are like bad in action movies like 
Liam Neeson as your starring character, Boyd Holbrook, Joel Kinnaman, just everything yep. that just screams, this movie's going to just be not good. Agreed. And I even, even though I'm a fan of the director, mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of that movie. <laughs> but I think he can make great movies. Yeah. Anyway. In the, in the end, at the end of the day, it was a shark movie. I didn't like it. I probably would have preferred going to see Independence Day, even though that's probably garbage, just for the fact that it had aliens in it. So... I'll probably not even remember it after a Who week. Who do you think would win in a fight, sharks or aliens? Um, you think about that. So anyways, moving on to me, uh, I will hit on Independence Day here in just a moment. Oh, boy. I, I have some thoughts on it. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the AMC six-part miniseries, The Night Manager, which I finally completed. For a moment when you said AMC six part, I was thinking just before you got past that, like the theater chain. I'm like, whoa, oh, did you go to no. some weird event? I'm uh, like, no, the, anyway, yes. the, the television channel. <laughs> That's right. uh, the night manager uh, was on there, and uh, this was starring Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie, which included performances by other known actors and actresses, including Olivia Coleman, Tom Hollander, and Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, and a cast of other people, too, who showed up uh, who would probably be more in Nick's realm in terms of spotting people in this series. I will say the one guy who showed up uh, who plays uh, an American and is, is, is an American, or no, he's English, but he plays an American here. He has a very American accent and, and plays plays it pretty straight, has clean cut, is a high-ranking official, and his name is David Harewood. And he appears in the movie Blood Diamond being one of the uh, people who's running one of the camps uh, who speaks in a very in a very thick accent and uh, is the one who screams the pink one in the movie. And boy, that was that was shocking for me to see him here just like straight up playing straight guy, American all the way. And I'm just like, is that? Oh, my God, it is. So that was that was entertaining. Just a little sidebar. Oh. Uh, the night manager kind of ebb and flowed for me is, is, is it started off kind of okay. And then I was really on board through about episodes three and four. And then as the, the series ended, I lost interest a little bit and thought the, the finale was, uh, not that great. Um, it, it could have been better for sure. And I guess it could have been worse, uh, but it just, for me, it didn't really seem to live up to the expectations that the build up had. Which, which makes sense, because the author of the novel, uh, I believe, uh, also wrote two uh, books that were turned into films, and I've seen the, the two I'm going to mention are Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and A Most Wanted Man, um, and both fell into the same trap that this ended up going in, which is great setup, but there's no real great payoff He's at into end. much more subdued, uh, shall we say, culminations of espionage and... Uh, like, and I'm not saying for better or for worse, but yeah. like, it's like the antithesis of what like a James Bond ending looks like. Instead of the you know menacing villain, uh, you know, with the world dominating maniacal laugh, mm-hmm. it's more of like a just locked room kind of which, conversation. Which I was okay with right. through most of the series. Like, I knew what I was getting into. Right. I was well aware of of who who wrote the source material. Uh, and I, I wasn't looking for big showy gunfights throughout or, or that kind of thing. And if you were expecting that, you're going to be disappointed because this is a very talky six-part miniseries. Um, and I do think there was a lot of great back and forth throughout uh, between the characters. 
specifically Hugh Laurie, Tom Hiddleston, Elizabeth Debicki, who are all fantastic in this miniseries. Uh, specifically, Elizabeth Debicki, too, to, to uh, bring someone out. She hasn't really gotten a chance to do that much in her career, but I thought she was really good here. And Hugh Laurie is fantastic, as almost always, no matter what he kind is. of role he's playing. He's just a fabulous actor. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. I know, buddy. Uh, but Call me. <laughs> But at the same time, it, it was just uh, the ending didn't seem to, to add up to the rest of the series and, and the build-up. Uh, we did have an awesome moment towards the end of this, but really it just left unsatisfying. And, and I felt like the ending of this was straight out of a movie called Body of Lies, uh, which was directed by Ridley Scott and starred Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Russell Crowe. Actually, we watched it, you and me, Nick, yeah. about a year ago. And the ending felt like pretty much that exact ending, which was was kind of weird. Don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there there were good and bad things, and I don't want to go into too much detail with it because it is pretty fresh. So if somebody wanted to check it out, I don't want to go through very specific plot points of it. But overall, I enjoyed watching it, but I I really wish the ending would have been better than it was. Would you recommend it for the journey alone? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I, I would watch it again probably yeah. too because it was it was a really well put together piece of television, and I'm glad it was a miniseries and not a, a film or uh, it tried to draw it into any like an entire run of seasons of television. If you look at uh, British uh, TV and the catalog, extensive catalog, it's like it's literally like five different subgenres. It's just British sitcoms. Uh, British dramas about, uh, you know, um, the, the social classes, and then it's uh, two other whatever, and then it's uh, John Le Carre spy dramas. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, that's almost all of his books have been made into British miniseries. Even Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is a miniseries before it became a movie. And mm-hmm. So, like, that's just a, there's an extensive catalog of all his stuff over there. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Totally. But uh, I will say one quick thing that uh, Nick I know an actor that you really enjoy and one of the things that you said you did hear about it is that he was fantastic and that was Tom Hollander I love him uh, and he was just okay here really? he had a couple good moments but yeah. I, I really felt like his character was lacking depth and also too like his his stick kind of got old after a while and he wasn't really in here that much so that no. was that was disappointing well, that was for me. the problem with it <laughs> what about uh if i can uh, olivia coleman by the end of it does she have like a decent character because yeah. i also appreciate yeah. her i i enjoyed her here okay. uh she did have a very interesting storyline and a a weirdly personal background with it okay um and quickly too is as i'll mention one thing that i that i enjoyed throughout here thoroughly is you know, there's this weird sort of shot. I don't want to say technique necessarily. It is, but uh, specifically in in this property or this this six part miniseries, there's this weird shot that keeps happening where it seems like somebody you're 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 playing as a person who is spying on the people here, um, and it works throughout pretty much. Uh, I think it's overdone actually. But at the same time, you feel like someone's going to like jump out at the characters, and they never do. <laughs> so it, it was it was something that kept on happening, and has actually became more frequent as the series went on. 
But uh, that was an interesting technique used did by it, the, the uh, filmmaker. Did it I... ever get attributed to a real life uh, counterpart in the in the show's universe, or was it always just a stylistic technique? It was always stylistic. Okay. I was just curious if, like, in the last episode, like the camera turned around and there's a guy in a bear suit with binoculars or something. No, but... <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, okay. no. All right, so it was more of a... But just, yeah. Like, okay. And, um, too, uh, there was a great moment in the final episode that I absolutely loved, but it uh, didn't attribute to a great finale oh. to the uh, to the show. But, Ooh. yeah, Night Manager, I would, I would recommend it, especially if you enjoy good dialogue-driven television so nick this is this yeah. probably is somewhat up your alley yeah. uh again what i wanted to talk about here as well was independence day resurgence which was terrible Woo! um micah monroe unfortunately wasn't that great here um which is too bad because does I, he play it's a girl oh. uh and she uh plays um Whoever May Whitman's character, I always forget her name. The daughter of President. Um, oh yeah. Pre- oh yeah. No, sorry. What more? Yeah, May Whitman. Is that her name? The May girl May who was in May the Whitman? Duff. Yeah, yeah, that that's who. That's yeah. her name, right? Okay. Yeah. So she replaces her character uh, in this movie because uh. she played the daughter in the first Independence Day twenty years ago. That's weird, only because of the fact that May Whitman is constantly even in this day and age casted as someone who's much younger than she normally is so i'm surprised that they... I, uh from what i've read it was a it was a hotness issue with the uh, filmmakers i you know like i i don't want to put my own personal <laughs> spin on that but that makes sense from what i think uh an executive would say which is yeah. too bad yeah. yeah it's fucking stupid yep that's uh and i mean mike monroe is a good looking actress but yeah. at the same time uh, is that really what you need? Is priorities? Just, I guess. It's like, look at her. It's like, what? She's fine. That's the word. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice reference to the Neon Demon. Way to go, Tucson. Nice. Roping it all back in here. Yeah. We call that a reference. Get out. <laughs> but after her performance and her character in It Follows, where she was was quite good, even though that movie was I was not a huge fan of it. Oh, I love that movie. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, and her performance was actually, I thought, pretty good as, yeah. as, as someone I had never even heard of before. But here, unfortunately, she takes the Shailene Woodley step backwards. So uh, getting back to the actual movie, yeah, though. Sorry, that was a diversion. Anyway. It, uh, <laughs> oh. So, you're so good at this game. You should just do this all the time. You do I already. Do. So. I do. Uh, this was clearly set up to be the uh, the first of two movies, which that third movie isn't going to be happening. I don't think. Um, <laughs> but there there was clear sort of it's it's even like a like a Back to the Future setup at the very end of the film where they're like, oh well, time to do the third movie, Marty. We gotta kill the alien. That's that's pretty much actually how it how it how it happened. Are you fucking kidding? No, me? I mean like not exact exact line, but the the film ends with Doctor Oaken who is a, a main character here, which is really too bad because he's the crazy, wild-eyed Area 51 scientist uh-huh. who's still pretty much doing the exact same thing here, except he doesn't have any pants on throughout, which is which is great because, you know, that's a good Hollywood trope. Uh-huh. So anyways, yeah, he's basically holding an alien weapon being like, let's go into interstellar travel and go destroy these aliens. And that's the end of the movie. So that's what that is. Yay. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of terrible dialogue here, mm-hmm. really bad humor, mm-hmm. um, and even though 
it, it seemed like nobody wanted to be here. So I'll give props to Will Smith, who just said, I'm not doing it. And you guys can go fuck yourself. And everyone else said, okay, we'll do it. I, and I it's mean, all bad. I mean, you say that, but Will Smith constantly turns down roles and then trips into terrible roles. Like the whole reason why he, he originally wanted to come on for this film. But the reason why he didn't is because had he gone on, it's like I know that there's a character in, in the film that's supposed to be sort of like his son and it would be sort of a father-son sort of film. And if you don't remember, it's like Will Smith has already recently had a sort of like sci-fi father and son film, which I think was After Earth. A lot yeah. of people don't remember. Yeah, a lot of people don't remember that. And a lot of people don't remember, especially uh, Will Smith. And so he doesn't want to retread that again. He'll probably if, – if he had – um, gone through with the film, he probably would have tried to rope his son into being cast in opposite of him in that role. And nobody really wants that, so they just killed off his character. Quite interestingly, too, I, I will add. So Off screen. Well, let, let's get to that really quickly, as I don't really mind spoiling some parts of this, because this was a terrible movie, oh, which yeah. had a very replaceable story. And Anyways. I haven't seen the film yet, and I really don't give a shit, so yeah. you spoil away. Nobody else did either. Yeah. Uh, so... Here's the here's the backstory of what happens with Will Smith's character in in his death. Mm -hmm. So he dies by crashing his plane during a training mission. Yep, it was he was training one. He was uh, he, test fly, flying one of the uh, alien planes that they yeah out of technology. Yeah, so supposed to be like the best like fighter pilot ever, and he crashes during a training mission. He was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is this a Denzel Washington <laughs> movie? Well, no, because anyone landed it. <laughs> like a, a movie that is, and I know that they had to change it around because he isn't going to be in the movie. But that's a movie that's twenty years in the making. That is the best you can come up with. They could have at least sent him to a farm or something. You know, like when your pet, I know, goes yeah. to a farm. Yeah, paint, oh, I forget. Paint Alex the rabbits, have, George. I forget, Alex didn't have an American childhood when he grew up, and he didn't have pets. Wow. That's not nice. Are you, is that like shade being thrown at, like, other cultures? Do they not have pets, too? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is our Independence Day. Yeah. Speaking of that, wasn't that great uh, after Brexit last week that that guy went up and was like, this is our Independence Day, which... Uh, is 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 twofold funny? Which guy was that? Donald Trump? Nigel no, Farage? No, somebody who who is yeah. the the leader oh, of of UKIP. So yeah, two things. There. I've been reading up a lot of them. A, um, first of all, he's referencing an an American movie, a, an American <laughs> holiday that is actually right. made in order to like celebrates independence which, from Britain. Which was my second part. Yeah. Which is, was, so that was that was that was wonderful. Nobody's though. calling. <laughs> Nobody's colonizing uh, Britain. <laughs> Nobody – like even the people who voted uh, – I hate to get on onto this other topic. Even the people who voted – Who also didn't apparently know what Brexit was. A lot of a lot of them <laughs> didn't know and a lot of them were really swayed by this whole like we're, we're giving 350 pounds to no, – 350 to, like, euro to, to million. The, yeah, yeah, to the uh, European Union. It's like we should put that into our national health fund and then after the fact – they get on national. They they get on uh, BBC and say it's like, yeah, we're actually not giving any of that money. To right. Him. And I'm just like, fuck you guys. You've walked back every single <laughs> campaign promise you made about this thing. Yeah. 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 It's not like that was a surprise or anything like that. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah. hopefully that's a good coming attraction for American voters for yeah. November to be like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, look at that. 
So really quickly, just finishing my thoughts on Independence Day, there were some really cool visual effects in this movie. Of course. Some of it were replaceable, mm-hmm. and because it isn't like just over overboard CGI like in Transformers. How big it, was the ship? It was it was like a third of the size of the Earth. Oh, that's big. <laughs> Thanks, Tucson. But there were some cool little details that actually were somewhat original, which I, I was I was I was really on board with. And then there were story plot points that were so unoriginal and and really just I'm not surprised, but at the same time I really felt like this was gonna at least be somewhat better than it was. I felt like I was going to get something that I at least could stay interested throughout, and this is just another sequel replaceable we're going to slap the name Independence Day on it and people are going to go see it so it doesn't matter what the content is. And it's, I think it's really starting to show and I think that Hollywood's going to uh, start at least somewhat to take notice of this because I think that the avalanche of sequels that have been coming out over the last four years is going to start to diminish a little bit starting in 2018. Because Instead, we're going to have an avalanche of anime adaptations and I'm not even joking about that. <laughs> no, but... Like, we live in, we've talked to this at length on this podcast, that we live in a sequel culture right now, Mm -hmm. and I think the American people, specifically, uh, because foreign markets seem to be doing just fine with some of these sequels that no one here gives a shit about. Or some of these films that we don't give a shit about either, like... Uh, China is just eating Warcraft up. They just yeah. can't get enough of Warcraft. Now you see me too, also doing well over there. Yeah, that's unfortunately nuts. But it, uh, American culture seems to be fizzing on uh, the sequel, and it, it's not necessarily like good sequels. It's just throwing out the name Independence Day and saying, "Look." Independence Day. Go mm-hmm. see that. And and there's really no reason to see it. It's just there with the Independence Day name. And it's Independence it's, it's Day start... did not need a sequel. No. It didn't I'm I'm sequel. okay with a heavy one. It just needed to be not that. <laughs> so Yeah. Not much more to say about it. Independence Day Resurgence, not great. Don't go see it. It's probably already out of the theater by the time you're gonna hear this podcast anyways. <laughs> Um, one so, week. Yeah. Oh, two. You know, yeah, give, yeah. give it time. Yeah. All right. So the main feature here on this evening's episode is the Nicholas Winding Refn film. Uh, I will, really quickly, I will mention, and this was a shocker for me, in Independence Day Resurgence, uh, I did see a face show up that I was very profound by. And I actually... I, I try really hard not to look at my phone during a movie, but I had to see if this was her during mm-hmm. it. And Charlotte Gainsbourg was in Independence Day Resurgence, and boy, I just did not see that coming. <laughs> so that was weird. She pops up in the most random places, I find. It just was after seeing Nymphomaniac last year and, <laughs> and not really seeing her in any sort of major roles or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god, is that is that Charlotte Gainsbourg? Last time I saw you, you were bent over a couch getting whipped by Billy Elliot. And now, <laughs> here you are in Independence Day too. Hey! Yeah! All yeah. our childhood dreams are coming true. God. Wow. So that was interesting. Yeah. Okay, now we can move on Let's to just, the main feature tonight. Gate by that. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> Talking about Nicholas Whining Refn's The Neon Demon. This film stars Elle Fanning, along with some other uh, lesser-known actresses, including Bella Heathcote and Abby Lee, in addition to starring Jenna Malone, mm-hmm. Carl Glussman, 
Keanu Reeves and to a much lesser extent Christina Hendricks, who really only shows up for about two minutes. Yeah. Uh, the film is about an aspiring model whose name is Jessie. She moves to Los Angeles where her youth and vitality are devoured by a group of beauty-obsessed women who will take any means necessary to get what she has. And she's got it. She's got something. She's got it. I don't know necessarily what it is, but she's got something. She's a diamond in a sea of glass. <laughs> I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day, mostly from small towns with big dreams. And they're all good. You, you're going to be great. Beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. She has that thing. Look at Jessie. Who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? I know what I look like. Women would kill to look like this. Before we go into everyone's initial thoughts, we had a very interesting film viewing experience with The Neon Demon. Uh, we saw this together, the three of us, in a theater with four other girls who were about like 20 years old or so, I would say. Yeah. Late teens, early 20s, something like that. I mean, they could get into the film, so I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, apparently they decided, oh, it's Saturday night, let's forget going out to like a bar or a club or whatever thing we're going to do. Let's go see the neon demon instead. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Uh, so we were the only seven people in the theater for this film. And I earlier in the day had a few cocktails. Um, and Nick did as well, I believe. And I don't know about Tucson. I think he just come out from seeing the shallows. So he was in a great mood. No. If yeah. You, yeah. You listened to That's earlier in this true. episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we watched this movie. And... I had like two beers across six hours. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's less than I had. Yeah, I was going to say, just to put a spin on as far as the I, difference. Between... I was ready to have a good time when yeah, I arrived at the theater, and I was determined to have a good time. You and was, I did, in a way. certainly did. And, yeah. yeah. Um, however, by the end of this movie, and I would say probably like 30 minutes prior to the end of the movie, just straight out heckling began in the theater and talking about parts and carrying on. And it, it I gave it, it compliments. Eh, no, I like what? that shot. No, I, like, that's a good, I said, that's a good shot. That's, it, it, uh, it really honestly turned, doesn't make it better. <laughs> it turned into an episode of mystery science theater. No, because those are funny. No. Ooh, I knew that was coming. I knew it. I could see the I'm future. Just, just saying. I don't know. It, it, anyways, myself and Dusan were very much enjoying ourselves, uh, we as were the, the other girls who were heckling and cackling in the background. Yep. And uh, our fellow host here 
was actually really enjoying the movie and, and took uh, offense to our heckling. And yes. I just want to say that I'm he was sorry, not, he was Nick. not a fan. Um, but I will say, Nick, at least you get to go see the movie again and, uh, you got to see it in an empty theater. So. I did. I went and saw it again. It's, it's not that I take offense to heckling in general because we do it when we're here mm-hmm. in the privacy order of our own home. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we're in the privacy of our own home, we can do whatever we want. Right guys. And when we go out to the theater, I just I felt like we've been on Film Tank itself complaining mm. about yes. other people gotcha. who did the very thing that I saw six people do in that theater. Mm. And I'm not going to name names. Ah, you don't need to name names. <laughs> literally just <laughs> explain And shit. I just I was not expecting it. And because all six of you were clearly on the same wavelength, I wasn't going to say anything during the movie because that would not have done anything. But I uh, that's not how I wanted to. My well, any viewing experience that I paid ten dollars to go see. Well, really, when you had popcorn, whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, we went to Randall. It's not like it was a five-dollar movie matinee, uh, right? But I just, you know, I, I, I guess I, I don't get that mentality. Not get it as far as whatever. But I, I've never had that urge because when I'm in a public space, it doesn't matter what I think other people want or whatever. I just shut down and uh, I yeah, try I've, to enjoy the movie. I've, I don't. I can only remember the last time I ever openly heckled a film, and that was uh, it last was Thursday. It, no, it's actually <laughs> there's only one time I've ever openly heckled a film, and that was like years ago with the movie Splice. If you remember that, I remember that it came out. Yeah, it came out, and uh, that was miraculous in that every single person in that theater took absolute. Joy and I think and that's what freaked, happened here in the yeah. sense that. Clearly, all of you thought that everybody was on board, yeah, and sorry. there was one person who was not. See, yeah. and that, and that's, and, and I, I get I, that. I, I think that was ultimately the the battle here. Is right, that and I can understand that that that, that my brain at the time is, and this is how it, it goes when you are in the moment watching a movie like that. My brain was on the oh my god, this is one of the worst piles of garbage I've ever seen. I thought we were all in agreement, and Nick's like, I thought that was great. I'm like, oh, shit, sorry. And and I can understand why anybody would hate the movie, like the movie, whatever. It's just, I was like, you know, it wasn't until after the movie that I did let you both know that I was disappointed dad, and... And, and just wanted to watch my well, movie in and peace. And you know what? It, it's a it's a good lesson going forward because you never you, know who is never know. who is enjoying something or who is seeing uh, something different, especially with a film like this, which has had such a wide range of opinions. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, so um, I don't. I do. So Nick, why don't? Why don't me and Toussaint go first? I would love that if, if you don't mind. I know I, I prefer it. Okay, <laughs> and then you can you can jump in with, yep. with your thoughts. And I sense, guess since I'm already talking, I can I can just lead off here. Go for it uh, and talk about the Neon Demon. Uh, this is a genre that I'm I'm not really that into in terms of of this kind of, of filmmaking and, and and the way that Refn's career seems to be going. Uh, I haven't seen Only God Forgive, so I can't really comment on it. Please don't. <laughs> like not, not don't comment on it. Just like don't go see it. Okay, yeah. I, I I've heard, but see that's the thing about Only God Forgives is that I've heard a legion of people who said it was horrible and a handful of people who thought it was great. Yeah. Like Which, literally a handful. Like you like reached into well, a, a into a candy but, thing no, and like are, you picked out three. There ardent defenders of it the same way that I think there will be of this movie. And as well. and, the, and there are like <laughs> I've read them and there are people who have given this like a perfect rating and say it's the best film of the year. Which I wouldn't think. Nick I, just did his uh, head nod. I was like, mm, I, 
Yeah, I just sucked on a lemon. No, it's just something I'd have to squint to really see. <laughs> um, but I think there are people who view this film as as a, as a work of art and view it as an interesting um, sort of telling of of a story and with with deeper meaning behind the characters and the actions. And honestly, and Nick, I, I, I love this because as we were walking into this movie, I said the line, I hope this becomes fun bad. And you said, oh boy, I don't think that's in, in the cards, which in fact it was for me because I very much enjoyed watching this movie because of how awful and ridiculously bad I thought it was. Uh, this was honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And I, I can't, I cannot, I, I, I guess I, I'm interested to hear more details about your thoughts because I can't even begin to comprehend how someone could like this, which, which is why I want to hear what you have to say, because, because I, I just want to, to, to get filled in yeah. on, on what you saw as opposed to what I did. And, and why I say that this film and why I compare it to a piece of art is because I feel like that people can, constr- can take different things away from, from artwork and in that kind of thing. This is definitely an artistic film through and through uh, but the the whole package just did not work at all. Specifically, the story, the symbolism, everything in in, in that realm, I just was not buying into it. Mm-hmm. And there were so many parts of it that were just laughable for me. And and Nick, I brought this up to you earlier. This this was like counselor laughable bad for me. Yeah. It was. It really was. I don't like to think about that film. I was really excited for that film. So was I. I only reject that comparison based on the on the fact that like the counselor is based off of a Cormac McCarthy novel and yeah. that Cormac McCarthy screenplay, but, or screen, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's even yeah. he, I didn't know if he wrote his own screenplay mm-hmm. or not, yeah. but like that's a script level movie. This is a movie that operates above his script and uh, now whether you think that works or not, but I mm-hmm. feel like the script is like mm-hmm. so besides its point. I, 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 I can get on board with, with that logic to a point, but from a, a, a viewer level for me, it, it had a lot of the same sort of elements that, that really hopped in there. That, I'll say this. I'd rather see somebody fuck a corpse than a car. Still, for me, uh, I didn't, I, it, was, it, was the, it was the same choices that, are, that you approach in life that are presented to you. Would, hey, would you rather watch somebody – hey, Nick, would you rather watch somebody fuck a car or a corpse? I would say corpse, hands down. I wouldn't even have to think about it. Hmm. I was more entertained by the moment in The Counselor than, than in this movie, and it was obviously going for a different reaction. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those, those scenes that, that I, I guess there was meaning that was just way too deep for me to even grasp, like the, the moment with the Jaguar in the room, I was like, what the fuck? What, what is like, what? Let's it, talk about that Jaguar. Yeah. It, it's a jungle out there, man. Yeah. yeah I gotcha. It, fuck. It, it was, it was silly to me. Uh, Keanu Reeves character had some interesting, funny lines. I thought to a point, like I really enjoyed that character until he did a very dark turn. I'm like, oh, I don't feel okay liking this character. Why? Because he murdered that 13-year-old girl in the other room and then stuck a knife all the way down what's-her-face's mouth? No, you're switching the uh, the sequence of events. He's stuck I, the knife I do, in it. but he still did First both. of all, that was a dream. Are you sure? The the knife. Still, it's... It, it, Second it, of all, did he rape yeah. the girl next door? Did he? Yeah. Was was she flashing back on her own childhood? She never says that her parents are dead. Maybe she, she was raped. She actually says that they're yeah. not here anymore. It 
She said they're not around. They're not yeah. around. That could mean anything. I mean... Uh, it's the other person who filled in the blanks. Yeah. Um, well... And yeah. it's... I mean, just... I actually don't even believe in this, what I'm saying. But <laughs> I just... I like to play devil's advocate. But not to mention the scene in which... Uh, Room 214 is happening, so mm-hmm. to speak, with Keanu Reeves and the possible 14-year-old girl being raped. Uh, we have the character of Jesse, and it's probably my favorite shot in the entire movie, leaning against the wall to listen to yes, it, and a it's great. a spotlight on, and everything else fades away, and it mm-hmm. almost makes me wonder how much is truly happening and how much is you know in her head and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and there is a good line early in the film, I don't remember who delivers it, talking about how people um, will, will always believe what they're told, yep. which... Which that goes back a little yeah. bit to what you're talking about, but just from a, a viewing of the film and sitting and watching the film level for me, uh, this was just laughably bad. Um, specifically, uh, the last thirty minutes got like raucously off the wall in 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 a really bad way. And obviously, Nick and you and a lot of other people really got into the end of this film, yep. where the moment when the girl throws up the eyeball and the other girl eats it. Uh, boy, I was just like, God damn it. What the fuck are we like? They're, they're eating people there. There's blood coming out of, uh, Jenna Malone's body on the floor in a puddle. Uh, she's looking at the moon. I was like, can you see me? Yeah. Uh, it just, it, the whole package just did not work at all for yeah. me. And it's, it's too bad because the music was great. Uh, the, 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 uh, music editing here was fabulous. The way that the, the, beats of the music fades into the shots was great and i will say this and it was very simple uh and it was there was nothing showy about it too much i absolutely love the opening title sequence of this film me too which just really pretty much just showed people's names and changed colors but it was lovely to look at and i was really on board for the first like 10 minutes Uh, movie specifically because of it and then it all kind of went to shit but Um, yeah, I'll have more feelings later, but I don't have too much more to say on this movie because I just thought it was terrible. Okay. Go ahead, Susan. All right. Um, I have a lot to say about this film and at the same time, not really a lot to say about it. (laughs) Um, so I'm just going to start by prefacing this and saying that, um, looking at this from a a broader sense of, of how the critical reception of how this film is actually like panned out. It's like, this is probably uh, one of, if not definitively the most divisive film that's been released this year. It currently has a 47% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that should, that that should matter, but just like taking as a collation of like all these different, um, all, all, all these different critics and just like dovetailing all, all their stuff into it like an aggregate. And also for the fact that earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year that it was showed at Cannes. Uh, yeah, it was just yeah, bad. and and uh, it, it it got booed. Which you know, if you if you know the history behind that, it's like oh, it got booed at Cannes. Like like it, it could mean one of two things. It could mean that this is probably going to be a cult film that will go on to be absolved by history in sort of a sense, and it will like be able to self assert itself, sort of like in the line of other films that were booed at Cannes, uh, like Taxi Driver or. Pulp Fiction, or it could just be a lukewarm, unrepentant heap of of hackneyed tripe, like the Brown Bunny. Cannes is a festival that literally encourages that kind of behavior. Yeah. So even if like you didn't like, I know yeah. you guys had strong opinions, but mm-hmm. even if you didn't like, people would just join in on some an action like that because that's what you're there to do. Yeah, it's, for it's, some it's, it's really not a. Uh, indication. It, of it's not. It's not an indication of anything. Is like it could. It could be anything. So. Personally, between those two, I think that it sits somewhere on the spectrum between those two. I think maybe, like, looking back in hindsight, it 
it sits at the at the far end next to tripe but i think it leans over the middle a little bit to have a couple of like redeeming qualities to it um i'm just going to talk about the things that i enjoy like you guys talked about like title sequences i love title sequences i i i thought this one was very pretty um when i First watched it when I when I when I saw the opening for it, I saw Nicholas Winding Refn's. Uh, oh yeah, that was terrible. His his, his logo that he embossed at the bottom of that. Yeah. And I I fucking hated that at first when I when I first saw that I was like, oh my god, is he going for some like pretentious like early 20th century auteurism where he's just like, this is my stamp of approval. <laughs> this is my film, The Neon Demon. If you didn't already know, okay. Um, <laughs> But but then wow. I actually learned after the fact that and, and I I don't know anything about the fashion world really is like I don't know anything about the the highlight names or anything like that. Fuck you! I know you're gonna say <laughs> fuck you. I can dress well. Anyway, um, I was gonna say that. Okay. Um, I don't think about you dressing that much. I'm sorry. Oh, oh well, thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, Continue. the this, this the, the, great, the logo is actually an emulation of the logo of. Eve Saint Laurent, who is like a famous like 20th century uh, fashion designer, who is pretty much like one of the pioneers of the modern fashion world. So now I see is like okay, so there's a matter of like self awareness that is actually in this film. Like it's not just him blowing smoke out of his ass. Um, when I first saw it too, I'm like, oh look, a pretentious filmmaker. It, it, well, it, and here's the thing, and I think that is also one of the, I think this is the kind of movie that like at any certain point you're going to take which whatever path you take and yeah. like you're not going to be able to go back to the fork in the road so to speak because mm-hmm. when i saw that my first immediate reaction i actually didn't know the name or anything mm-hmm. like that but i'm like oh, oh is that like a fashion thing like when people put their stamp you know right. so i do think that that certainly sometimes sets up like mm-hmm. your the rest of your viewing experience yeah. and can shape like how you view you know whatever anyway yeah. Yeah. I, I i will say that um I'm I'm just gonna name off some of the things that I liked first, okay? Obviously I like the composition of the film. I like the, the actual scenes. I think the cinematography by what's her name? I can't find it. I think it's Natalia Bayer. She yeah. actually worked on the rover and I don't actually remember distinctly enjoying the rover, but she was she did a really great job with cinematography here. I thought that the lighting was great, I thought the color grading was great, I thought that there was a awesome transition between um like just even within scenes, like when when uh, Jesse first goes to the party with Ruby in order to meet her friends Gigi and Sarah, I actually looked at their names beforehand because you know I wanted to be able to talk about these characters, um, and I liked uh, some of the more azure like blue sort of like wafting colors um, in in one scene where it has like all these pillars and it shows uh, Ruby like framed in the middle of this this hallway, and I thought I was like, wow, that's a really great shot. If I can jump in really quickly here, this film does a very good job of melding the use of color and lighting yes. together, yes. which lots of filmmakers seem to struggle with. Mm-hmm. Either they're doing lighting or coloring really well, where here I feel like it exceeds doing both and it makes it work really well mm-hmm. together. So on a, on a visual level, that was, was fabulous, and, and it worked really well throughout the the entire film. It's just the content uh, yeah, wasn't there. Continue yeah, and, and, and basically that, that – comprises the sum total of like a lot of the initial enjoyment that I actually took from the film. I thought that it was a very well shot film. A lot of people have been saying, have been taking pot shots at it saying it's like derivative of Fellini or like David Lynch. It's like, I haven't actually seen, 
I, I, I got a cop to it. I haven't actually seen a Fellini film yet. I would love to see see one. Um, and I've seen David Lynch before, and I just didn't really like feel that. I, I, I didn't get that. I, was like, I think that yeah. they were just like throwing names at a board just to, say, like, like, just to it, take the piss out of Reffin. If, like, if something's dreamlike, then people like to say Lynch or, yeah. or Fellini. Uh, I think it was probably closer to Fellini than it would be Lynch. Cause All right. Lynch is way more intimate. Like This is a lot more like the party scene, which is kind of Fellini's mm-hmm. thing. Anyway. Yeah, and I... Um, yeah, I, for for the soundtrack, like for, just for me, I thought that it, it at least me listening to it is like it just didn't really like pop for me. It's like hmm. it, it, I I usually love. Sound- I was gonna say that's why I I, I love synth pop. I love like tracks. I I love this sound. It just didn't really do anything for me. Probably because it had like that sprinkling effect during like really tense like exposition driven things like and I thought it was just fucking annoying. Just like it just like. It's so up its own ass. This film, okay. Um, I are, are we getting to the to the portion where you're going to start talking about things you didn't like about it? Yeah, this is the, this is the part where I'm I'm going to start was about. Quick. I'm going to start yeah. about the things that I I didn't like about it, and then I'm going to pivot and have a another thing to talk about. Um, okay. When I first saw this, I felt like it was playing to an aesthetic formula that has already been set on on Nicholas Winding Refn's path from drive like his films don't usually look like this i think like i've i've seen bronson i i haven't seen uh valhalla rising it's like i can't imagine it looking anything like this and it's just it feels like like for for only god forgives which which i find it very ironic how the name of this film like neon demon perfectly describes the actual design of the poster for his last film because it has a demon in neon um for for only god forgives it felt like Refn looked at the success of the breakout success of Drive, and he basically tried to distill it to a a checklist of elements. Like you have a stoic, uh, taciturn male lead, and you have neon, and it's grungy, and it feels like it has a perpetual noir, like nightish vibe to it, even when it's not at. Not We're talking about only God forgives. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about only God forgives. Okay. Like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like of course I'm not talking about Neon Demon. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. predominantly like that. Like Neon Demon, the film we're talking about is predominantly centered around a cast of women, right. and I, I, when I first saw the first scene, I was like, okay, this is, she's not dead. It's like, oh my god, it's like beauty kills us, kills us all. It's like, and it's a very well framed shot, and then it pans to her boyfriend, and I'm just like, oh, here is the, he, here's the 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 driver type from uh from from drives. Like, oh, he's got a perpetual scowl on his face. Like, mm, yeah, um, and then we get into the actual dialogue where we're talking about. Things like, what are you? Are you food or are you sex? And I was just like, what's it like to walk into a room and it's winter and you're the sun? And I thought that shit was just so, so hackneyed, so stupid, so pretentious, so on its face. And I walked out of the film thinking that, thinking that it was re- really the, the, um, the sole amount of this film came out to my impression of, look, if Refn wanted to make, if he wanted to direct fashion commercials he should have just fucking directed fashion commercials because it was beautiful on a visual level but it shouldn't have been hamstrung by the shit like plot or anything like that right but after our our uh, our our talk after we got out of the theater i was like wait a minute okay so nick likes this film (laughs) and another friend of mine who's also son of a bitch who, who also is a critic like he likes this film and i'm just like maybe i'm i'm not thinking about this at at the right at, at the right angle it's like so Obviously, this film is very pretentious. I I find Nicholas 
winding Ruffin, very pretentious. And it's like, it feels so shallow. It's like, what's the one thing that's more shallow than, than Nicholas winding Ruffin? It's like, is it the fashion industry? Is he taking the piss out of the fashion industry by making a film that's as shallow as his perception of it? It's like, is he, I, I mean, I mean that, that's me giving it, a, it, 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 the charity of like, right. what is he actually going for? Because saying that the, the fashion industry is corrupt and the only surface level is a, 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 a fucking, a fucking self-evident statement. That's like saying the sky is blue. Like what the fuck, like what can, what can you actually do with that? And the fact that all the, the, the actual actresses, like the, the principal actresses speak in this monotone sort of like vibe is like, it kind of speaks to that. Even one of the, the actresses, I think her name in, in the film is Gigi. It's like Gigi. She's the one who principally has like the most Bella Heath coats, Bella Heath coats. Like she herself is a, is a, is a model. So I think that's even more interesting for the fact that she kind of like, supplants her own like experiences of maybe once even being in sort of like a, like a situation like that. Um, and, and then I, and then I started thinking back onto one of those lines, which is like, are you food or are you sex? And I was just like, Oh my God, I really actually, in, in hindsight, that, that line is actually pretty, pretty potent because it's, it's actually, tele- it's, it's not only telegraphing something that's going to happen later on in the film, but it's actually touching on like, what do these three characters see in, in 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 Jesse, this is just like, is she food or is she sex to them? Because in that way, the way that you juxtapose them, the the way that they're put together, they're they're two concepts or two things of which are consumed in their own sort of way. And so Gigi and Sarah, they kind of see her as something to be be consumed in a way of like of like food like literally they're they're tr- like they're, there's Gigi who's trying to like sap out of her like her ethereal like like innocence her ingenuousness like when she uh uh falls back on a piece of glass and like she's bleeding out of her hand like in the bathroom or you have uh somebody like Ruby who on her face um from, from the beginning of the film she seems like a very sympathetic character but it turns out um later that she really just seems to lust after Jesse in her beauty and does not so much want to be her as as though she wants to be with her and in that way she wants to be sort of like um, enveloped in sort of the aura that she's able to project in that way so I thought that that line in particular was actually um, like that, that, that actually that actually works in hindsight I didn't get enough credit on the initial appraisal but I, I th- there are elements of this film that God help me I, I, I do enjoy I just don't know if I can ever give it a pass of of really like co-signing it. Like I like I love Keanu Reeves' character. I, I I like his lines. I think he's funny at first. I, I there's something about him. It's like the the whole mountain lion scene is another one of those pretentious like things where it's just like oh it's jungle out there. Oh we're all trying to get at you. Um, I thought another thing. I think this film went on way too fucking long. I, I even said that in the theater. This film is too fucking we, we, long. We all remember that you said yeah. that. Yeah. Especially the scene you said it during. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I just didn't see the point in, in, in the, the final 30 minutes until like after it was actually happening. And that was my fault. That was my bad. But um, it, It's funny uh, talking about Nicholas Winding Refn being a pretentious filmmaker, which I, I tend to think he, he pretty much has been. He has his own documentary film. of him filming himself – of his wife filming him while he was directing uh, Only God Forgives, and it's called right. My Life, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn right. on Netflix. 
there there are other prominent directors who are much higher esteem than than he who are usually thrown the the term pretentious is thrown at them and mm-hmm. the the two names that I that immediately come to mind are Inarutu uh, and uh, Terrence Malick who are the the obvious choices to look at as pretentious filmmakers mm-hmm. but I think the the interesting thing about all three of them is you have a legion of people who do not like the things that they do in their film mm-hmm. And you have a whole other side of the coin of people who think that they are some of the best filmmakers they've ever seen. I just need to stay away from interviews with all three of them because the less I know about them, the better. I can just go into the film and just like – it's an isolated thing. But I, I before, before here, I, I, I read a interview with Nicholas Winding Refn talking about the Neon Diem for uh, Entertainment Weekly. And one of the poll quotes they used was, uh, it's like, I think there's a 16-year-old girl inside of every man. And I'm just like – I don't. I don't know how to unpack that. I'm just like, what the fuck are you? I, I wish I maybe did. he's just really confused about biology. I really <laughs> wish I had not read that quote. It's like, but yeah. So yeah, he's an interesting, interesting dude, yeah. an interesting filmmaker. But he has some people who think his his works are not great, and then there's a whole bunch of people who who really enjoy the his, especially specific, specific films. And I like Drive, and I like Bronson. I just I don't. I think he's just way up his own ass. Yeah. That's that's just it. So. I'm, I'm pretty much there with you. Yeah. Somebody who did enjoy the Neon Demon, though, was Nick, who's been very patient. Yeah. And I want to hear your thoughts on it, because I'm, I'm sure you have some good points. So so please spell it out for me. Oh, boy. it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not like Only God Forgives at all. Uh, I thought that was up his own ass. I thought... That what you said earlier in this episode, Chazan, is very spot on about how it felt like a checklist of all the things that he wanted. I don't even know that it was a checklist because of the reaction to Drive. I think it was just his own reaction to Drive. Mm-hmm. Like He got to do it, so he wanted to do it again mm-hmm. because I don't think that uh, critical appraisal really fuels his uh, filmmaking, uh, at least from what I gather from when I watch his movies. So I, I, I was not on board with that at all. I thought that... That story and that universe was not a good mix for what he likes to indulge in. So because of that, I was not expecting much from this because the only other film I've seen from him is Drive, and this clearly looked like it was more in that camp than Drive's camp. So I was uh, I was on the fence on whether I'd like it, but due to all the reviews, I'm like, you know what, I think this would be a divisive film to go see, and clearly <laughs> from the theater experience alone it was, and it's obviously on this podcast it'll prove to be. Um, because I thought that there's no difference uh, in the director who made this movie than in between the director that made this movie and the director that made Only God Forgives. The difference is between the subject matter uh, that's you know he's employing here, and that's why I ultimately was won over by uh, the Neon Demon as a whole. I thought this movie was great, actually. I thought it was darkly funny, uh, not in a way that I was cracking up out loud. Uh, we actually cracked you, up out loud. I was going to say, once, you guys yeah. took care of that. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> but it, there it was, was actually a, little... a gen- genuinely yeah. funny scene where uh, uh, Jesse was in the bathroom uh, with the three girls, <laughs> and they were sort of like circling her. And it was just like, you know, I... I I think it was Sarah's character, which, like, you know, it's like I go to this great, like, doctor and stuff. He just, like, shaves down all all these bones and stuff like that. It's like, it's like I'm, he says that I'm, like, the bionic woman. And it's just like, is that a good thing? And, and then there's a, a pause for a beat because she doesn't get the reference. And so, like, she unintentionally insults her. And then she just looks so, like, she's, like, scoffing. And, and she's like, so I hear your parents are dead. That must be really hard for you. I was <laughs> just like... 
There, there was a lot of weird, dry dialogue like that in the film that ultimately it, I thought it was not great, but I also enjoyed it and, and laughed at it. I mean, the, the restaurant scene is absolutely hilarious, I thought. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that it was intentionally supposed to be like that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of almost like belly laughing at some of the terrible lines that were being I leaned over back. To, to Alex and I was just like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not a girl because I could never <laughs> live in this world. It's like, no. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was a fan of this movie and it, it all starts with that opening scene. Um, we, we see the image after the opening titles, which I did quite enjoy, but we see the image of uh, Elle Fanning's character. We're introduced to her quite literally draped over a couch in a very typical fashion pose, modeling pose, uh, with seemingly her neck slit open. And, mm. like, that's our opening scene. And then we, we zoom out, and we zoom out from that more and more, and we start to realize that this is artifice, and that what we're watching is not actually what we're being introduced to, which ultimately is the concept of beauty itself. Like, I'm not even going into, like, whether, like, a some kind of subjective or objective view of what you know, beauty is, whether it kills or whether it whatever, but just mm-hmm. that is beauty. It's the it's the art of deception, you know. Um, so from that moment on, once I realized that, in my opinion, that this film was essentially telling the audience that you're not really supposed to take any of this literally or at face value, then I, I was like, I don't know. For me, like, from that moment on, it, it, it clicked. And um, the rest of it played out like a train wreck of a fashion show that I, I, I could not stop watching and that I really appreciated. I, the, as a as a librarian, one of my side duties for the longest time was to shell magazines. I used to put all the... All did our... you catalog the porn? <laughs> no, we did not have porn. Okay. Um, it's not the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> So, but we had a we actually have a pretty extensive magazine collection compared to most libraries in in our uh, region. So we have just about everything you could think of, and that includes all the glamour magazines, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, all of them you could think of. Um, so I've seen practically every cover of like all these magazines for the past like practically ten years now. So I'm very familiar with the way that these are staged and how they look and what's you know what's in, what's not, whatever. And I just continually get creeped out by them, like, every day. <laughs> Not by, like, the, the the women or the men or anything like that, but the idea that this is essentially what is uh, taken at face value to be aesthetically beautiful, as far as if you just do this, whatever. To the point where, I mean, there there are some, uh, and some that even popped up into my head. Like, I was actually vividly recalling magazine covers as I was watching this movie, not because they had thematic relevance, but because I was reminded of, like, there's, I think it's Rolling Stone that did a cover with, I think, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, where she was in bed with a clown, and it just, it, it was supposed to be, like, half titillating, but half not, you know, like, it, it was hmm. whatever, just, like, little, like, those kind of covers. Where those... I'm, the, those photographers and those directors, those art directors, just live in their own little bubble of smugness. Yeah. That they think it's like, oh my god, they're, they're, everyone's going to get this joke. <laughs> and I think that that's what this whole movie boils down to, is that, it's that the world of uh, beauty, uh, not even fashion or modeling, but just beauty in general, is a, a world of shorthand and reduction. And I love the idea that that this whole movie distills all of its symbolism and all of its character beats and whatever into uh, uh, heavy-handed 
images and visual motifs. So, like, whether the script was this or that or dry or whatever, I didn't mind because I like the idea, like, in the restaurant scene that these people barely function outside of their job. Like, when they're in public, it's it's almost, it is cringe-inducing and it's embarrassing because, like, just, and I'm not saying this means this is how it applies in real life or anything mm-hmm. like that, but this very, I thought, funny and kind of uh, grotesque take on the idea that when when it does consume their life, that they they lose all of what actually makes them human, despite the fact that many characters in this industry would argue the exact opposite. In fact, we have the I think one of the great characters of this movie being the um, the male uh, uh, art director of that fashion show. He's who, such a douchebag, and that's the point. Yeah, like when I, he when he first meets Dean, he he says like, "What Bean? Is that your name?" It's like that's that kind of guy that never meets you at eye level, but always his belly but, too. But always, who Sorry. never meets you at eye level, but he always like talks down to you like you're a child because he does not respect you just from looking at you. Yeah. And when he is interacting with uh, Gigi and she and he does that, like I don't know what it stand up, Gigi, S- stand up. No, not that. Yeah. When he. <laughs> When he um, does the um, lines from whatever, either play or whatever he's reciting, mm-hmm. and then Gigi responds to that with, like, the most, quote-unquote, perfect answer, which is, did you always want to be an actor? Like, which completely sidesteps any actual, like, uh, evidence that he could be an actor or that whatever, but, like, that this is such a self-serving industry and that, you know, that this is, like, the the shorthand for how things get done and what is placed uh, value on. You know, I just, I love that whole interaction and specifically the way that that guy played it because I, I I would watch an entire movie of just him just like just you know having a clipboard and going around just telling people to fuck off all day because that was great wasn't there a, a particular quote in that scene with his exchange with Dean that you really liked it was it's like yeah. beauty so yeah then, and well that's everything. when he's lecturing Gigi about how beauty can't be manufactured like mm-hmm. no matter how much work you do to yourself that can always be told and and he says because beauty is not everything it's the only thing and it's the only currency in this world and you know uh, you guys were cracking up yeah. during the scene and I can understand I thought it was hilarious as well but i'm also not entirely going to say that like that scene should be laughed at mm. and then forgotten yeah because i think that it is troubling uh disturbingly accurate as to how we do represent women in this society and how you know whatever so it's kind of like it, it's it's like we laugh at it because we recognize that it should be a joke but the the the, the scary part and why i think this works as like what I would call a horror comedy mm-hmm. is because we're able to laugh because we know we would make the the other choices and we know what's right and what's wrong, but these characters don't. And these characters, I Jessie herself, um, in, in one of the, the earlier scenes when she's with Dean, um, like hanging out outside, she says that, you know, she's not good at anything. She's, she can't do mash, she can't do sports. She can't like do anything else, but she's pretty and she can make money off of pretty. And really, this this film, like her entire arc is from her going from sort of a she's, – she's aware of that and I don't think that she totally shows that on the outside because she's really entering this from like a very meek, genuesque level. And, but then as the film goes on with the self-assurance of like characters like Chris, Christina Hendricks' character and the aforementioned director, um, she kind of comes into her own of being like aware of how she – 
exhibits sexuality and how she exerts her sexuality to it's affect still her. Still, really about sex, though. I know it's not not about no, that, I'm but it's saying, sort of like, like her sex appeal, her beauty, her beauty. I'm just yeah. saying there's there's beauty that's indifferent to sex. Yeah. There there is also a, a very troubling part of this film, which I actually was one of the few things that I I, I enjoyed about this movie. Uh, and and it is a constant thing that happens throughout that it isn't just beauty that people are or it's youth is a, is a major part of it here as well in fact i believe there's a line where uh, you're 25 hun this is like you gotta punch your ticket now yeah yeah that's, that's yeah <laughs> thanks tucson anyways uh going off of that uh early in the film there's a very troubling scene actually there, there's two scenes that go together quite well that, that are very interesting and troubling at the same time and it just shows how pretty much just fucking broken the entire system is in terms of why we have things in place to, to protect people for, for what they are, whether they be not educated, where they, whether they be not young, whatever we have pretty much a, a, a lady who, who leads a, a modeling group, whatever, pretty much telling her, Oh, you're 16. We're going to say you're 19. Just sign as your parents and you're 19. Like, that's pretty much just there. And then all of a sudden, in the next breath, she's in uh, a room with a guy who she's told is supposed to be a big guy in the industry who just turns around and goes, get naked right now. And and it's just totally legit now. She's 19 years old, and now she's naked, and now she has no more choices, whatever. It's all done. It, like, that is just sort of just, just the ultimate, well... If if we say it's okay, it's okay. No, no, it's a sixteen-year-old girl who is now getting it's tacit collusion for the um, exploitation of young women. Yeah, just because they want to be stars, we're like, well, guess what? But this is how you become a star? But it's it, it's it's the horrifying aspect that all it, it's too easy. For people to say, "Oh, I'm I'm covered now because I got her to sign this document," and and I can just say, "Hey, I've got her right here that says she's 19, and how do I know any different?" Yeah. Like it's 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 shockingly easy just to for them to do whatever they want and also make it legit at the same time, and it's 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 just one of those things that it, it's just showing all of the flaws in all of not in just American society, but, but in world society, just allowing this behavior to happen and everyone just for the most part saying like, meh, whatever, it's fine. And it's, 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 it feels real. Right. And that's the thing is that we as a society, and I know another film I'll bring up that I quite enjoyed that a lot of people, well, is another divisive movie is Spring Breakers, which is, you know, this two way street of transaction of voyeurism and, and predatory, uh, uh, actions and like you know we wouldn't perpetuate a society like this if we didn't get something from it and clearly as, as a whole as society as a whole, at large whatever does get something from allowing this kind of uh, youth obsessed culture to to permeate and to continue and and to feed off of it. and that's what that's what I enjoyed about this movie and I, I agree that it can be heavy handed and uh and one to whatever, but I, I always felt that a it was self aware. I always thought that Refn knew that this was exactly like, like that he was laughing at it too. It's not like when I watch sometimes a Tarantino movie, who usually makes 
or not usually, always pretty much makes movies I enjoy more than reference movies. Yeah, that's another where, thing I need to stop reading interviews with him. Yeah, but like where I'm like, does Tarantino think this is a comedy? Or like this is, a, you know, like he's someone I'm generally unsure of, but luckily his work stands on his own. And here I felt like this benefited from knowing Refn, and I felt like this actually was self-aware in the sense that I, I feel like Refn essentially makes a movie that is like watching a photo shoot come to life. Like, we, we have to look at it through this uh, reductionist lens that boils everything down to these images that we're being uh, bombarded with because that's the only way that people engage with these kind of themes. Like, we're, we're not really willing to take a movie seriously about beauty. Like, would we, like, would we watch a, you know, a... Uh, a a starkly realistic drama about a model uh, who, you know, and that deals with the, I think, very real themes about beauty and, like, the compelling nature of how beauty is an invitation and yet it shouldn't be and, like, that, just those kind of messages. I, I don't think we would as a society. And so I think what I love about this movie is that it becomes this kind of cinematic prank almost because we're lured into it the same way that we are in real life. And then those last 30 minutes come, and that's when, for me, that's when I it sealed my love for this movie because that, for me, was Refn saying, so if this is what you wanted, this is what you get. And, like, you know, kind of like locking the doors before we can get out of the theater type uh, filmmaking. And really, yes, going, sure, balls to the wall with his imagery and whatnot. But never, I would say... I didn't think, like, I thought all of it was pretty much telegraphed in the beginning uh, from, like, what you said, are you food or your sex? I mean, from that moment on, I was already getting a vampire queen type vibe from these three girls and the way they would triangulate the space uh, between where Jesse was. Uh, Triangles. Well, yeah, uh, that's actually, I actually have more thoughts about that, too, but um, before I get to that, but the other thing is that um, even, uh, like, the blood and the bathing and that, we see that early on in the movie where someone literally tries to lap up her own... Uh, Jesse's blood from yeah. from the cut or whatever. So all I thought that this was finally just a culmination of everything we had already seen. I didn't think it was too out of place. I don't want to say out of place, but it certainly takes it to a, a much different level than even was happening, even if it's hinted at earlier in the film. It, it, it takes a much different road than um, I even thought it was going to go to. Like, it, it goes to a very far extreme, which I'm certain Nikki would even agree with, that it that it goes pretty much as far as you can go uh, in, into its own sort of realm. And, and it just embraces what it what it's trying to do to the point. But th- that's the, the problem, though, is it, it does all these things that it just seem like it, when it gets there, it's like, well, we're doing it, so we're going to do everything that's just going to be like, not even necessarily like shock, but it it seemed like everything which is there to be like one after another after another to be like, oh shit, look at that. She's fingering a corpse. Oh shit, look, they're eating somebody. Oh uh, shit. She just threw up an eyeball. Oh shit, for some reason, Jenna Malone has uh, black tattoos on her nipples. Like, it, it just... It well, just, I, I wouldn't say that those are all completely separate incidents. It's not no, like it, it's not. But it, okay. it, it, for me, it just sort of all blended together in a in a in a much different way than you were seeing it. Because I just kept seeing it as, boy, this is just not doing anything for me. In fact, it's just 
just piling on for me to just not be interested in. And in fact, just completely dislike this movie because it's doing everything that I just didn't want to see out of a movie. I did um, really enjoy the climax where Jesse is being chased by the three women, like through the actual house. I love like, the line that starts that chase off, by the way, when she gets from the pool, she walks into the house and then she sees Gigi standing there. And <laughs> what? Her reaction is, are we having a party? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, a party where you're about to get stabbed. Yeah. Anyway. I do also like... Push uh, into an empty pool. When she just walks in and she just straight up just jacks her in the face. That was, yeah, that was good. That, that was good. Yeah. Um, but no, that that whole scene for me, like, I, I guess the reason why I, I was really into that final act is because I felt that throughout the whole movie, besides the fact that it was being set up, I think, subtly, I'm not saying that there was like a signpost that said necrophilia will be here soon or anything <laughs> like that. But I, I, I like the idea that, you know, if beauty is a foundation, you know, I mean, literally we see makeup being applied uh, in practically every other scene in this movie, that this was quite literally like once that's removed. Because once we get into these scenes, it's a more nighttime scenes with less lighting, you know, like they're no longer under the runways, lights and all that kind of thing. So I like the idea that once uh, that they have gotten down to what they were really in literally for a character like Ruby, I think that was the thing is that um, when she's walking around topless and we see her with the tattoos, whatever, we don't realize that, you know, the beauty we're told to pay attention to can obviously sometimes uh, obfuscate uh, the beauty that we actually, uh, shall we say, wear on our actual sleeves and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And it's only until they reach that point that we're able to see that layer. So, I mean, I just thought like that it just didn't like surprise me or like, well, why does she have those tattoos? No, it's, it's not even necessarily a surprise. It just kept on adding to it. Like it seemed like one thing after another after another. That's what which... I mean as far as I felt like the, it wasn't like one thing after another so much mm-hmm. as a causality. Like once the door had opened it was clear that all of this was like in line and had already been like like it, it, it's not like she went and got these tattoos That's and true. Then, like joined but a satanic it, cult. It seemed like for me at least that that entire last 25 to 30 minutes was and I, I get it that there's there's much more to to it in, in terms of narrative, narratively driven, but for me it, it just seemed like shock after shock after shock that I just was not like the the attempted rape scene, the the murder scene that, that like it just just for me I just could not buy in into it and, and that's why in the, in the theater the murder scene lingered a little too long. I think I think the, talking the, about the Keanu Reeves two fourteens. Oh no, you're talking no, about the murder I'm of Jesse. About, oh, actually, okay. when she pushes her, and then gotcha, they're gotcha, just gotcha. she's just laying there. I'm talking pool. about the aftermath of uh, Ruby sitting in the the tub and Gigi and Sarah. I was like, I at first I couldn't really really read what was going on in, in the scene, particularly with them. It's like they're naked, they're in a shower, and I'm just like, wait a minute, are they washing off the blood or are they putting? On the blood, I'm just like that was that was actually for me that was the moment that I just could not even handle it anymore because it was that cutting back and forth mm-hmm. of Ruby looking at them and then back to them showering, then back to her looking, then back to them showering, like it <laughs> it, it it almost seemed like for me if you just it, it it seemed like 
something that is destined to be parodied on a Family Guy episode with some bad music behind it. it, it like it, it just that's how it felt like to me, and it's not it was not good. And I, I think that does make sense that for the most part, even though there were some like cackles and laughing early on, once this movie goes off the rails, which I would say, which you would say, it really just brought you into what you were enjoying about it. That's really when the heckling started in the theater, and it it just kind of got embraced by the six people who were doing it. Yeah, and it's just it's such a it's such a interesting film because it does bring such a different view to what the material is. Like you took something completely different out of this than I did, and I don't necessarily think that what you thought was invalid. Just like I hope you don't think what I thought was invalid because oh, oh you're such an asshole. Fuck just this guy. Kidding. Fuck this guy. I'm Dick just man. kidding. Are you, though? I am. <laughs> Go ahead, do something. There, there's something else that I wanted to add that I noticed uh, after the fact. That it's like actually like during the film, and then it just kind of like got clarified afterwards. Like Mirrors – this seems so obvious in hindsight. Like mirrors Mirror are on the wall. Are are such a prominent and important part of of framing for this film. Of like, it's yeah. like we see the first first scene uh, after, like the film opens and we see Jessie sprawled over the couch with the blood over her her neck. And then in the next scene where she's introduced to Ruby, like our first shot of Ruby is Ruby looking into. They a literally mirror. meet through a mirror. They meet through a mirror, in and they're just like, it's yeah. like, it's like, I, I, w- am I staring? And it's just like, I, I admired your skin. It's so perfect. I'm just like, ugh. And then she's like, a makeup artist. Yeah, and and then it it, it continues on is like where there's even a scene, like e- even when they're in the bathrooms, like they're looking at each other through a mirror. Is like, and then there's the the next scene after Jesse like gets through with the the photographer, where she goes to the the the, the backside of the uh the the fashion show that's going on. And she is sat across from Sarah, or is it Gigi? That's the thing about those two characters. They are indistinguishable. And that is also leading to the part of like how Jesse like stands apart from them because they appeal to the stereotypical model aesthetic. Meanwhile, she's sort of like this. And I'm not saying that she doesn't like adhere to this, uh, this no, model as well, the- but at least she's distinct in sort of her. In, in sort of her features and sort of her mannerisms and sort of her speech and, and the way that she, she carries that herself. Naivety. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the genuine naivety about her. Like when they, they're they sitting down, like it's all trained on the mirrors that are reflecting back their faces and like they're looking across from one another from the, the actual gap of closure between that, that black space. There's even another like scene like in the actual mansion where she's like looking into the mirror and she's just, like drawing like this – this caricature on it because she's just so dejected for having been uh, dejected and enraged for having been spurned by Jesse. And it's just like, and, and then hopscotching again is like to Gigi who throws uh, something at a mirror in order to destroy it because it reflects back. Like what is not perfect about me? How do I not stack up next to Jesse is like this whole film is about I mentioned a mirror is what sp- spills the first blood in the movie. I mean, yeah. 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 Um, and also, really quick, since we're on the subject, mm-hmm. we're also leaving out the probably the most pivotal use of a mirror in the movie, which is uh, Jesse's transformation into what I would call the neon demon, uh, which is during her first fashion show. She is quite literally yes. under the two sets of mirrors. Yes. Uh, now, now let's sees let's herself. Let's talk about that scene yeah. really quickly because that all that was a. a <laughs> beautiful looking scene and a, and a very interesting scene uh, in, in, in film 
viewing ways. Mm. Uh, it also includes the triangles and, and the kind of circular sort of lights yes. uh, involved in it. Uh, Nick, what did you what did you take out of that? And what was your take on that as well? So that whole scene, I think we can all agree on one thing. Maybe not, but like, <laughs> that is the turning point for Jesse's character mm-hmm. as to when she goes past their own perception of mm-hmm. her and she becomes the ultimate. Uh, like, goes from blue to red. Yeah, type thing, and um, but uh, as far as like the way that that scene plays out, I actually I'm I'm a huge fan of it, and it was in the second time that I really started to look at the triangle design because that's the big symbolism uh, I think thing, like the thing that just very stands on its own, yeah. and yet also only shows up really in that most important part. And it and seems to come out of like nowhere. It's not like a, a like a piece that's actually part of that set or anything like that. It just appears. And for me, maybe I'm reading too much into this. But what I liked about it was that if you take it literally as a triangle, whenever I see a triangle, I always think of the uh, the Freudian uh, breakdown of id ego and super ego. But mm-hmm. this triangle has four triangles instead of three because it has three on the bottom layer and one that rests above them all. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that I think beauty is that ultimate triangle on the top of the three. And that is the true puppet master that pulls on those three, uh, you know, puppets, so to speak on the bottom layer. And that that's when that starts to uh, reign supreme because before the triangle before she goes up there, they show the triangle once, and the triangle is actually the other way, mm. and the the three are on top, and that. But then once the triangle is turned on its, uh, well, really on its bottom, mm-hmm. uh, with the head sticking up, like and that's how I kind of took it, and that's just my own uh, random interpretation of right. it. But I, I think the turning of it is uh, very crucial into not just the fact that it's a literal a literal turning point uh, for the character, but just the, like the breakdown of her psychoses and uh, and like what's where her priorities lay. I've I've read from one of my colleagues that it's sort of evocative of new age occultism in that in that sort of way, and I can see that. I was like, I have no frame of reference in in in, in that way, but I could totally see how that would register in this actual film. It's like yeah. the it's the worship, it it it's the worship of a of a titular golden golden the calf. And- yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I I I thought that that was a very interesting visual design. Is like it. it when I, when I first saw it, I was just like, "Oh wow, they let the graphic designer like design like the plot piece again." It's like, "What's he going to use a triangle?" Oh man, that hasn't been used before. Let's put a triangle in it. Um, but I, I thought it was a visually interesting piece, and I see the significance of uh, it as a turning point in the film after the fact. Um, I, let's talk about that that fucking show that they went to at the party because I don't know what the fuck that guy was doing. He was doing some weird Cirque du Soleil like wireless shit. With like strobe lights and everybody's like, eh. it's like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but it was it had too much significance other than the fact that I like the idea of strobe lights, which allow like somebody's beauty to like freeze in time instead of like you know be a, a moving entity, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's obviously something that is important to a a model's arsenal. You know, like I didn't really. Look into it. I honestly <laughs> forgot that scene of existed until right now. <laughs> right, so. yeah. I like the way it looked, and I like yeah. the way. Actually, that is also the the moment in which uh, the three of them kind of have that triangle effect too, because there's there's another three cut between it goes from Jesse's reaction to Gigi back to Jesse, back to Sarah, back to Jesse, back to Ruby, back. So you know we are given once again that this is a you know a three way focal point, so to speak. Um, 
so yeah, if I yeah, I, I like the way the scene was shot. That was probably the, the Lynchus scene in there because Lynch love uh, loves uh, strobe lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to ratings then. Everyone's had their had their say, and let's uh, get to final thoughts here. Uh, I'm going to give this one out of five stars. I, w- I was not a fan of the movie, um, and I rarely give ratings that low. Uh, but I'm going to give it here. I originally was going to give this just a half star I was out of say, five. I figured that's what you would have given it. And it was what I was originally going to give it. However, um, I did really dig the music in this film, and I did dig the the visual aesthetic of this movie. And also, I, as I mentioned, even though it's such a small part of it, I did enjoy the opening title sequence. Minus the even though if it is a reference to uh, that sort of culture. Uh, that was one of the most pretentious things ever seeing his, his three. Uh, yeah. It, it, it no, no matter, even if it does have significance still, I don't know that it's more pretentious than even like the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino or, and I'm not saying because I love Quentin Tarantino, right. like on a whole other level or anything like that. But yeah. I mean, a tour is gonna a tour. I guess. Yeah. I guess it just just for me, just the whole package getting roped together just when I saw like that, that that flavor of autourism. It was when I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, no. Yeah. So, but but a lot of those things I did enjoy. Uh, the the problem is for me is that the story really didn't didn't rope it all together. Um, it it was just a much more sort of thrown at the wall background story with it, which. Nick, like you were saying, the the script and then the story is really inconsequential here is, is with the themes and what the the purpose of in each individual scene was trying to have, which which, which I get. I, I understand that. But for me, that just those just aren't the kind of movies that I'm really into. And, and I, I, I don't really follow them and, and enjoy the story that they're telling. I, I like seeing stories that I that I can get into, that I could follow their structure. And even if it's something that's more... Um, I would say normal would be it would be a, a term for it. I, I I guess I don't really know what the the best language would be for that. But uh, a movie that I keep going back to that that seems to have a lot of the s- same themes as this one does is a movie called Black Swan, um, which which I, I I really did enjoy and and had a much more common structure to it. But it was still having a lot of the same kind of things about it in mm-hmm. in. in Obviously not the exact same, but but still trying to do the same things, but in a much more um, the burden of exceptionality or something like that. Yeah, it, it had a lot involved with youth and also with beauty, mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot also with men deciding things in an industry that is predominantly ran by women, and men are always making the decisions, which is very bizarre. And just art consuming, yes, whole, yeah. which yeah. definitely comes into play right. in, in that film as well. Yeah. But also, the the structure is much more, it's much uh, more like a thriller. I would yeah, say. but well, like a thriller and much more more pleasing to the mainstream audience, which I would call myself as even though i do see lots of, of films um and and here I, I just was not into what the neon demon was trying to do i i do think that nicholas winding refn whether it be good or bad is an extremely pretentious filmmaker uh and it, it just bleeds through in his films specifically this one um at, at the same time i've said it before with any ritu films i don't necessarily think that saying someone is a pretentious filmmaker is always a bad thing. Like I, I've seen excellent works uh, by both Inaritu and Terrence Malick that are very pretentious, that are still fabulous films. Uh, and this just wasn't one of them for me. So one out of five for me for the Neon Demon, and hopefully uh, Nicholas Winding Refn um, 
does something a little different in his neck, but maybe he won't because it seems like he's got a whole legion of people that have loved Only God he, Forgives and love this. He's got so. his niche now, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm caught in, in a between a rock and a hard place with this film. I like, like I've, I've said before, like my opening like statements of this. I feel like on the on the spectrum between like emergent cult classic and absolute tripe i feel like it sits a little closer to tripe but it's able to lean over that middle ground and have like there are some redeeming qualities to it um and i and i still feel very passionately about that that that's that that assessment um but i also feel like despite my perhaps despite my my better judgment i feel like i could come back to this film probably after i have watched more films that have acted as sort of a predecessor to it. Like I, I like I think Refn um, has cited this film, but he he he's been kind of dodgy of whether or not it's like directly like inspired, like whether it directly inspired Neon Demon. But he talks about the Valley of the Dolls like a lot. Like he he talks about like how he had L Fanning like watch that film beforehand, and I actually read an interview with the cinematographer who says like that was one of the films that he showed them even though it was like it wasn't supposed to be emulating um necessarily the the same visual aesthetic but like it was sort of like its own self-absorbed universe that was like self-contained and that's what he wanted to like go for whether successful or not um i feel like if i watched more um italian giallo horror films which i want to because they're fucking dope um i would probably like take a lot more from like the actual like references in this film which right now i just don't really like clue into that because i don't have that 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 background with that or if i uh I, I don't i don't know i feel i feel like this is a film that i will probably try to come back to when i've just watched more stuff in this vein and maybe that'll change my assessment of it um i like the the inclusion of well just, just for the fact of like the the three characters like consuming jesse is like it's obvious it's inspired by a 17th century serial killer by the name of Madame Bovary, who was accused of like killing over 625 something young girls and used to bathe in their blood in order to give herself a rejuvenating like physical appearance. Um, and that's also something that was uh, clued into and referenced in, I think I believe the second hostile film. I haven't seen those films, but I think that's one of those things that was included in there from what I've heard. Um, so I think that was a, a cool stylistic um thematic story uh inspiration and uh yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna have to give this like a straight down the middle like two and a half out of five because no i'm gonna have to give it yeah a two and a half out of five just because it's it's a total i i don't know how to reconcile it um so yeah so i I failed to mention something in our in the main body of our review, mostly because I didn't I wanted to go uncommented on by you two. So I'm gonna really quickly pivot here and say the movie this reminded me most of is Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls, because uh, I, I know right, I know right. 
But I feel like even somebody like Alex, you've seen Showgirls, could actually see the comparison being made in the sense that both are shallow, glib uh, looks into very glamorous, shallow professions. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, if, if if also to Gina Gershon's character, who's constantly trying to trip up Nomi's character throughout, which is yep. similar to what's happening here. It, I brought up very, Black Swan, right, similar to happening there. All about Eve yeah. uh, structure to it. And, yeah. but I, and I bring up that movie for another reason, which is that I think what a movie like Showgirls does for the, like, movie genre this movie does for the art house genre like it it finds the subject matter in which this uh kind of movie thrives with uh this very glib and uh neon world uh in which aesthetics is everything and you know your words don't really matter and 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 it just goes all in but it goes all in in one of the funniest in my opinion cinematic punch lines uh that we've seen all year um, and like I said, it's not for me like ha ha funny. It's it's like more like I'm a robot, and I sit there going, "That is funny." And um, at many different points uh, uh, during the movie, and and it just it's so bizarre, but it's just never not engaging for me. And that's what I want from a movie. Like if I'm thinking about something else, that's how I know I don't like a movie. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm but if I'm if I can't stop thinking about the movie that I'm watching while I'm watching it, I, I don't really ever sit during a bad movie and go, this is so bad, this is so bad, oh god, this is bad, it, you know, I'll just start thinking about the last time I masturbated, if I really hate the movie or something like that. So, because, uh, because I never once thought about masturbation during the Neon Demon, I guess I have to give this movie a positive rating and, and say that yeah. I, I thoroughly, <laughs> I thoroughly love this movie. I thought that from a scene-by-scene basis, it was never not... Uh, entertaining, engaging, uh, gorgeous to look at. Uh, I thought the soundtrack with Dynamite. I've been listening to it nonstop since we uh, since we watched. You're still cracking up over there. Oh no, I just I just giggled when you said nonstop. And we uh, talked about yeah, the movie earlier stuff. in the episode. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, and I've been listening to the score since then, and I absolutely love that. I think the performance in this in this movie are extremely purposefully uh, calculated and, and just perfect and spot on. And I think the casting is great because I think Elle Fanning does have a certain quality to her that does make her uh, stand aside everybody else in this movie in the intended way that she's supposed to. Uh, and and just it's just a fun romp. I mean, that last 30 minutes, yeah, if you're not into the movie, it, it can certainly test your patience but for somebody like me who is like waiting for the movie to finally show what was underneath the floorboards that I kept hearing throughout the whole movie saying let me out I I was just glad that it finally did and and uh, and did it in with such I don't know I, I such confidence I mean that's the thing about these movies and that's why they do I think shall we say get much divisive opinion like bit there you're you're in two camps you either love it or you hate it because it is filmmakers like Refn who do what they do they do what they do best now you may not like their movie but that's like they're only good for this one thing and they do it so well that it's either going to turn people off or turn them on and uh for this one it it turned me on so i'll <laughs> i will give it uh four out of five stars and it's slowly creeping up on my list of my favorite movies of this year nice so, yeah. well i'm glad you enjoyed it and, thank you um good and you got to see it again without people heckling. I did, and that certainly added to the experience. I would assume so. I'm glad. 
On our next episode of Film Tank, we're going to talk about another movie that definitely has some divisive opinions, uh, and that is the Daniels movie, Swiss Army Man. Woo! I'm going to heckle the shit out of that movie. Probably should. Um, and you would not be the first person, as, as, as this had a very interesting reaction from people at Sundance. But at least at Sundance, they do it right. They just walk out. <laughs> In droves. That's what you should do. Yeah. You don't like something? Stop consuming it. <laughs> um, the the difference being that um, people walked out because they didn't know what they were walking into, and I don't think there was a way that you could go see Swiss Army Man and not have an idea of what the movie is going to be, simply from the trailers and the talk that it's gotten beforehand. Well, I'm curious who goes to see the Neon Demon. Like who, you know, like what? No, but like what target audience uh, that just didn't, you know? I, I don't know. I just don't get that. Yeah. That aren't, shall we say, people like us who try to watch films on a regular basis. Because uh, like, I never saw real any real advertisements for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an Amazon Studios, and yet those four random girls, like, I'm just curious yeah. as to, like, what... Well, it's like the couple who showed up on date night for the overnight, and were just like, oh, this should be fun. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, my God, there are children in the same room as their, same room as their naked people. The only reason why is pornography. Kind oh, God. Of, the only reason why I can kind of see that is... Is because at least it had like I could just see somebody looking at a poster and going, "Oh, it's the woman from Orange Is the New Black and the yeah. guy from Parks and Rec." Like, like <laughs> I could see that being luring you into a false sense of security. Nobody's, but like, nobody's gonna look at the poster for Neon Dean and be like, "Oh, it's the girl from Super Eight, Even though that's where I first learned yeah. of her as an actress, and I was just like, "Wow, she's fucking great in that film." Speaking of, like, this is like it's quite a new trend—not new, but uh, a recent trend of like uh, younger sisters kind of eclipse older sister's career uh, like when we have the, the Olsen twins have no one to blame but themselves yep I suppose I was just going to say that Elizabeth Olsen is I think a good actress I don't know that I need to throw shade at Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen I'll do it <laughs> good okay and guess the, you I like mean, making fun of mental disorders and I'm eating not, disorders wow no, I'm not doing that Ooh, boy, I'm good. not even talking about that I just think that they show some really shit roles like later in their career yeah oh yeah well first well, of all they also I don't think wanted to really be actresses I was gonna say they were like 10 years old I don't know that they <laughs> I don't know that they were like uh, get me into Billboard Dad okay this is gonna be the hottest movie of the year and yes I watched like all their movies when I was a kid and all their shows and uh, Elizabeth Olsen is never going to even come close to the fame that her sisters had when they were children so whatever it, even if she is a good actress and actually does really want to be good at she's it, she's in the Avengers. So, like, the, this is true, and yeah. she's also been in other films, right? Yeah, uh, Godzilla. Okay, she she became famous because of her debut role in Martha Marcy May Marlene, a Sundance movie, which is fantastic, by the way. Everybody mm-hmm. should watch that movie. Anyway, but anyway, it's just a weird trend. Of yeah, sisters, yeah, not sister, but like, or has it? Have we seen a male counterpart? Because mm. I wouldn't say Joaquin counts, because unfortunately. That's, that was more of a tragic Definitely thing. hasn't happened with Chris and Liam Hemsworth. No. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's, it's been the which opposite. Which one is which again? I'm just going to Le- call Liam him. is the one who uh, was just in Independence in- Day Resurgence, oh. and Chris is the one who's Thor. And his career has gone very well, mm-hmm. uh, and he's been in other things that he's done done well in them. Black Hat, Rush, a whole slew of things. Cabin in the Woods, even when he wasn't famous. I mean, yeah. And then Liam Hemsworth yeah. has just not been good. Mm. Really he's Gale. That's fine. Uh, he's he hasn't made good choices. So, 
That's okay. He's got time. Gale was a good choice. Yeah. Just, yeah. It hasn't panned out. Other really than just wasn't a good character. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying as far as exposure, yeah. but hmm. yeah. clearly that was the extent of his range. Going back to your question about like who would actually go see the Neon Demon, it's like if they weren't like film goers like we are. Like, I'm just curious like, what would draw because it doesn't look like a horror movie or a drama. But... I mean, maybe they just saw like there were sparkles in, in the fucking theater and they was like, oh, this is going to be a fashion film. And I'm just like, you know, it was like, maybe it'll be like the the Devil Wears Prada meets like some weird horror film that they, they I guess they here's the thing. I would say that I would believe that kind of mentality 10 years ago, but I feel like in 2016, people do not go see movies like that. Why? It's, mm-hmm. Why? Because people barely go to the movies to begin with on a, just on a mainstream level. So it's all about brand recognition. I don't really know about who would who'd go to see the, the movie, this film in particular, specifically because, like Nick was bringing up, there really wasn't any advertising for it. And it is really a, a weird that doesn't have a home for people in the mainstream to go see this kind of film. The way so. I would have seen a possible future in which like people would have just randomly been seeing this is if it like Netflix acquired it and it just yeah. showed up in a, you know, in people's queues and I'm like, Oh, what's this? And if people still only... might do that too. Right. No. And that's the way I might like, that's how I can see people like starting to really see, but I was just curious about the kind of people who just showed up to this movie Not a lot. and, you know, didn't read uh, the fact that there would be necrophilia and yeah. other things. And yeah, it's just very, but what, what an experience it was like I did mention though we are going to talk about Swiss Army Man has some very interesting performances by Paul Dano uh, also Daniel Radcliffe and a very uh, you know small but interesting performance by Mary Elizabeth Weinstead as well uh, so that film by the Daniels comes out this week and we're going to talk about it next week with a friend who hasn't been on in a while Sam Shamara who uh, who joined us a couple times last year and she's going to be back uh, to talk about Yay. Swiss Army Man in the coming week. If you have any thoughts on the Neon Demon or Swiss Army Man or anything else movie or uh, uh, television related, feel free to send them to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram every now and then at Film Tank Show. So from Nick Cheney to Sonic and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we'll catch up with you next time.